What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Katie Stern on the episode today. I'm really excited to hear her story and dig a little bit deeper. I know a little bit about her and her journey, um, but she's going to give us the full rundown today. So Katie, I'm just going to throw it at you and start wherever you would like. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So our journey um, started back in I would say 2011, um, my husband, Dan and I got married, um, in the summer of 2011. And we knew prior to, you know, getting married that we wanted to have a family. Um, we didn't have a number or, you know, a timeline. We just, um, knew that we wanted to have children and, um, we were kind of ready to, to start once we were married. But again, like I said, we didn't really have a timeline. So, um, The following spring in 2012, we found out that we were pregnant with our first. Um, We found out in May, the beginning of May of 2012, and we were very excited, uh, very nervous, as everyone is with a first pregnancy, and you have a million questions that you have no clue what the answers (laughs) are to, and, um, you know, a lot of it is, at that point, is just a waiting game um, with the doctors and to see what happens. And so uh, I would say the middle of June, um, I started to have some bleeding, some spotting. And, you know, the doctors said, well, that could just be could be um, normal. Yeah, yeah it could be completely mm-hmm. normal. Just wait and see what happens. But you obviously are at least I know myself, I'm kind of in a panic state. Like, what did I do? Did I miss something? Should I have been doing something or not doing something? And you're just very worried. Um, and the bleeding continued um, for a while and it, it did get worse. So we went in to have an ultrasound and um, we found out that we were miscarrying. And um, I remember Dan and I leaving the hospital Um, and I really feel like we were just in complete shock. Um, they actually, from the ultrasound, they sent us back up to the doctors, to our OB's office, who was in the hospital there. And, uh, we sat down and it was mostly her talking to us because we just, we didn't have any words. We didn't know what to ask. We didn't know what would happen. Um, I kind of felt like I was just in a fog. And I think Dan was too. And then, um, at that point we, we really hadn't, we weren't far enough along. Um, it was probably about 10 weeks at that point, maybe 11. Um, and so we hadn't told a lot of people, it was more just our family and a couple of our very close friends, uh, that knew that we were expecting. So, uh, there wasn't a long list of people to call. And quite honestly, we really just told our parents and then our fa- the rest of our families, family members found out. 
our brothers and sisters. Um, but the doctor gave us a couple options and, um, I'm actually a type one diabetic. I, I was diagnosed when I was two. So, um, I had had diabetes for, you know, 20 plus years at that point. And, um, we decided after consulting with, um, some high risk pregnancy doctors and my OB that it would be best to do a DNC because we didn't really know what my body was going to do and prolonging that and kind of waiting, um, put me at risk for health issues. So we went and had, um, the DNC and came home. And I just remember feeling like it was just like, Oh, you're just going to have this and that's it. And you, and you'll be fine, you know? And it was just very lonely, I think is the word. Um, it just felt like, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to be fine, but is the expectation to be fine or Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to feel? Um, and, and because we hadn't told a lot of people, there was not a lot of people to talk with, you know, and our parents were, um, understanding and there for us, but I think that's just a, just a different discussion when it comes to talking with your parents about, you know, miscarrying. Um, it's very much, you know, they're, they're trying to be positive for you and, and keep you focused. And so I just think a lot of time for Dan and I, that first month or two after that happened, we just felt very hurt, um, you know, and like, why is this happening to us kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And so, um, we, I would say we didn't really start trying again until the fall. Um, it took us a little while and we were scared too. Um, we, we didn't want to have to go through that pain again. Um, and there were a lot of people that around us, friends who we had gone to high school with or had gone to college with, and everyone was just having babies left and right. And so until we're in that situation or you're in that situation, you just don't understand how painful certain things can be. And yeah. People just don't, people don't realize that or understand it. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, just our journey, it, I have to remind myself a lot of the time that prior to something happening to Dan and I, or even to myself as a woman with my body, I didn't know how that felt either, you know? So totally, it might be hurtful to me and I might not have the words to put together and someone may be trying to help me, but it's, you know, the words are, are not helping. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's just a very fine line. Um, I think also a, a lot of, a lot of topic that had come up at that time was, why aren't you trying to have children and and when will you start a family and when are you going to have a baby and why aren't you pregnant? And that's hurtful too. I mean, it's like, it's so, it just shatters you. Um, It's just very hard because you want to say, you know, well, I was pregnant, but I miscarried and, but there's just this persona. It's not widely talked about. And I feel like it's talked about more now. Yeah. even, I mean, that was six years ago at this point, and it really wasn't. It it wasn't like 
socially acceptable to have that conversation. Like, yes, you knew that other people did. And, and there were other people that did come to Dan and I and say, you know, we had a miscarriage before because they had heard, you know, that we were kind of going through that loss, but it's just a very different situation. Um, so we, and that was, um, 2012. And then we got into, you know, 2013 in the end of 2012, the beginning of 2013. And we started trying again and we were really struggling because we were doing everything that the doctors were telling us to do. And, monitoring a lot. And I was doing a lot with my diabetes to make sure that that was in check. And, you know, that wasn't causing us issues conceiving and, um, nothing was working and it was quite honestly getting stressful and frustrating. And it just wasn't, um, it was hurting Dan and I, and, you know, we just said, we kind of just said we had a heart to heart and we were like, we need to take a break. Like we need to just stop following like all these rules, following the calendar. It becomes such a job. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it, it really, it's just stressful, like for your relationship with each other. And it's not supposed to be that way at all, you know? And, and, um, and I feel like we had just, we were just getting tired of being told where, or feeling like we were being told where we should be with our life and with our family. And so the end of 2012, it was probably October. So we said, okay, we're just like, we're not, we're not working off this calendar schedule and everything else. And, um, we, um, went through the holidays and the beginning of January came and we found out we were pregnant and, um, (laughs) again, it was like, it's just one of those situations where, you don't know, like you want so much to be excited and happy, but after going through that, there is so much unknown and then you're back to the calendar again, you know, Mm -hmm. weeks and you're counting when the doctor says we'll see you and when we can do an ultrasound and when we can check this and when we can check that. And so it just feels like a really long process that first trimester, especially when when you've had a miscarriage during that time. And so, um, we, again, we, we decided to not, um, make a big announcement because we weren't sure. And we didn't want to have to do that again or go through, you know, an even bigger, um, heartbreak with that and having to tell more people and whatnot. So, um, when we found out, uh, we were, a little bit further along than we thought. And so we kind of waited until um, March or so and let everyone know that we were expecting because everything seemed to be going well. And uh, the one thing that was, that is very good for, for me is because of my diabetes, I not only see my OB throughout my pregnancy, but I see a high risk doctor through, um, our healthcare network here. So I'm, I'm having double visits, which initially, you know, you think, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much, but that reassurance. Yeah. 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 Very much so. And I don't really think I realized how much different that 
process was um, until I had talked to like my sister and my sister-in-laws about how many times they really saw the doctor in comparison to when I was going in and being seen and having the ultrasounds done and, and getting to see our baby and make sure that, that it was okay, you know? So, um, yeah, so we, we went through, we found out we were due in September and it was like the middle of September was our due date and, um, nothing crazy with the pregnancy, everything, you know, thankfully went well, um, went through the summer pregnant with Luke, which was like completely, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I was so swollen and just like, Oh, the heat, it was just intense. But, um, if those, I kept saying like, if these are my complaints and he's healthy and I'm fine, you know, then did you feel weird complaining? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Quite honestly, I, I did. Yeah. I, I did too. Like, yeah. I felt like I had to, like I had to justify why I was complaining. Like, yep. You know, and like um, you're like, I'm really grateful, but like, yeah, you yeah. always had to like say yes. that before yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I think that's a lot of women that do that. And yeah. it's not just with pregnancy, like it's, it's with our jobs or it's yeah. with, however we decide to lead our lives or what decisions we make. And it's really hard to not do that. And I, I, you know, I try a lot. I have to sometimes think before I respond to someone or think, because I'm like, I don't, I shouldn't have to apologize. Yeah. You know, this, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's quite strange how, how that works and how a lot of women feel like they need to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, Luke was born in September. He was born September 4th and um, I had a C-section. He was um, nine pounds and a big baby. And with diabetes, um, there's a lot of other things that come into play with that. A lot of which is um, carrying heavier babies and um, the other thing is it, it, babies of diabetics can have heart problems as well. And so they spend a lot of that time when you're doing, going through pregnancy and having these scans and having the non-stress test and whatever, checking their heart and make sure it, that that is okay so that there's nothing like at delivery time that they need to be watching for. But thankfully, you know, all went well with that. And, and we had our little boy and he was, he was perfect. Um, we were so happy and, you know, we just felt like we needed to live, you know, in that, in that moment. And, uh, then we went home from the hospital and Luke was a colicky baby. And, um, I actually, a couple weeks after having him, um, developed Bell's palsy. And so I'm not sure if you know what that is. Yeah. It's, um, this crazy thing. I woke up, um, I, I don't even think Luke was two weeks old at that point in time, but, um, the left side of my face was like completely paralyzed. Oh gosh. That's so scary. Yeah. It was, um, and I had no idea like what was going on. Couldn't, you know, I just, I had no clue. And so, um, at first they had, they said, well, you might've had a stroke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no. Um, so we ended up, you know, in the emergency room and they, they checked us and ran a bunch of tests and they said, no, that, that this is what it is. But 
there's no real timetable for how that cures and it's and goes back to normal or if it goes completely back to normal. Um, it's different for every mother that goes through that. And um, so thankfully, it was probably about a month um, that I dealt with just not being able to do a lot of things and having to kind of rearrange how things were done until my muscles kind of came back and were really starting to work. Um, but you're dealing with that and you're dealing with a newborn and you're dealing with no sleep and, you know, you're just, um, it's, that's just a hard time for any woman. Yeah. That's, I, wow. (laughs) That's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, you, you want to, that time when you're home and, you know, off from work and, and get to spend that time every day, but it's, it's also trying. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of emotion that goes through that too. And we got over that hump by, you know, Thanksgiving and I was back to work and everything was good. And, um, we were just enjoying Luke and, and quite honestly, we, again, as was our intention from the beginning, from when we got married was, we knew we wanted children more than one, but we, we didn't want to have a plan. We didn't want to use it have a timeline. And, and that was just our approach to, um, our family. And so we, you know, completely enjoyed Luke that first year and, um, celebrated his birthday the following September and a month or so later, we found out that we were pregnant again. And I think for both of us, it was more, just a shock because it had taken us so long from the time that we had miscarried until we were pregnant with Luke. Um, It was over a year, um, almost 18 months, honestly. And so we really didn't think that that was possible. We thought we would have to go through that sort of planning and getting everything in line and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. And so we were surprised and like, oh no, like, how are we going to do this? Like <laughs> two under two, because we knew like he was going to be here before um, Luke turned two. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, are we crazy or what, what is that? <laughs> but, you know, I was like, well, you can't do anything right now. Like we're, we're already, we're already moving. We're already on this, on this train. So um, we went, you know, we went with it and quite honestly, this, the second time around, I felt so much more relaxed. Um, I kind of knew just both with diabetes, managing that and managing the pregnancy, what to expect and all of the testing and everything like that. So I didn't feel like the pregnancy felt as long as it did the first time around. Did you feel a little bit more, and I'm asking this for my own selfish purposes. (laughs) Um, did you feel a little bit more relaxed? like having a successful pregnancy under your belt? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, obviously the anxiety was still still there. there. Yeah. But I just felt like my my outlook was okay, we weren't planning for this one and it happened. You know, we didn't have to go through those struggles that we did to have Luke. Mm-hmm. And so if this happened the way that it did, that must be in my mind, I looked at it as like God saying to us, like, this is the time, like, this is what I want you to do. Yeah. So I just had to like put my confidence in his plan, you know, and say, 
he's going to take care of us and we're going to be okay, you know, and, and that's hard too. It's very, very hard. And, um, I know that I am someone who, like, I just cannot give up control of anything. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) And um, so having that, you know, I I was constantly reminding myself, like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to be anxious about this. Or, you know, if something came up, it was just like, okay, relax. Let's take a step back and look at it. And and you just just had to remind yourself. And and honestly, I mean, Dan is, is very good with that and with helping me with that when when that comes up with anything within you know our marriage or with the kids and he's very quick to remind me like it will be okay like no matter what the situation is we will get through it we will get through it together and it will be fine you know so um that's something that you know I just hold very dear um as we go through life together but um so Toby was born in our second son. Um, he was born May 27, 2016. And um, he was a little under nine pounds, but still <laughs> close to that. Um, you know, uh, I was like, I'm just destined to carry <laughs> children. <laughs> and, uh, thankfully, my body uh, was able to, to deal with all of that. But um, I had another C-section and uh, we came home a couple days later. He was completely fine, um, healthy, you know, um, breastfed well, everything. Like, not, there was no, like, no hiccups in that. And, and the timing of Toby's birth was um, just perfect for us because my husband is a school teacher. And so he was born at the end of May and Dan had, you know, about a week or so left of school. And then he was off with us. And so... Um, we had Luke home and Toby and we we actually moved in, we moved a week after Toby was born, which, oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So that was like every reaction that we got, but quite honestly, I don't know. It just was like, okay, well this is going to work and be fine. That's (laughs) the mantra. Um, so when we moved in, I mean, there was a lot of stuff to do, but I felt like we handled that well too. We, we had a good balance of, doing things with the boys and enjoying being off together and Dan being home with me this time around um, because he was back in school with Luke um, when I had him, you know, he was off for a week or so for um, paternal leave, but not this time around with him being home for the summer. It was wonderful. So we got to do a lot of things. We got to, you know, enjoy our neighborhood. Um, Luke loved the pool. So we joined you know, the community pool and we took Toby there and he loved it. He would just lay on the, um, the blanket next to Luke, you know, playing in the pool and he was just happy. And we just, um, we went to the zoo and we did a lot of things, um, quite honestly. And, and we did them to enjoy that time, you know, with the boys and, um, the beginning of August came around and it was time for Dan to get back into the classroom and my time on leave, maternity leave was, was up. And so we went back to work. Um, I think I went back like the 10th or something like that. And we baptized Toby that, um, that following weekend, the 14th, he got baptized into the Catholic church and, our families were there, our entire family, which is very rare for us. Dan um, has four 
brothers and sisters. So they have an enormous family and my, some of my aunts and uncles were there and my sister and her family. So it was just a really nice, um, time to celebrate him and to get to see everybody and to be all together. Um, and then, you know, it was, it was change of routine because then it was, you know, Luke, Luke was already kind of in daycare through the summer, a couple days a week. And then we put Toby, um, into daycare with Luke. It was, it was at the same, the same place. And so, um, we went back to work and, you know, life was just moving at normal speed, you know, two parents working off, you know, in the morning, getting everybody out the door, home at night, getting everyone fed and baths and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, trying to just enjoy the rest of summer that we had left the weather wise and, and whatnot um, as well, you know, in the backyard and being out at night and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, August 24th came, it was a Wednesday and got up and got everybody ready for school. I got up that morning a little bit earlier because Toby had woken up and fed him and put him down in his room just so the rest of us could get ready and just a normal morning, you know, same, you know, hectic, um, getting the kids together, Dan going out the door and I put the boys in the car to drop them off, um, at work and it was the first day of school for just uh, you know school districts around here and so there were a ton of buses on our way and Luke was just so excited to see all the buses and was talking about them out the window and we were sitting at a light on the way to the babysitters and I was watching him in the rearview mirror and I was watching Toby and Toby was looking at Luke across the back seat and he was like intently watching him. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, I'm just so lucky that I get to be their mom. Like, I just can't imagine like what they'll be like, like running around together and playing together. Like I was just smiling. It just made me just so happy. Um, and we got to the babysitters and I took them out of the car and I kissed Luke and he ran up the steps and I, you know, had Toby and, in his car seat and took him in, set him down, kissed him on the forehead. And I just said to the both of them, I said, you know, you boys be good today. Dad will pick you up and I will see you at home. And I, I went to work and um, about two o'clock, three o'clock that afternoon, um, our entire lives changed. Um, Toby went down for his afternoon nap and he didn't wake up. And, um, I was in a meeting and I was getting a bunch of phone calls and Dan was calling me and I, when I looked at my phone, I just, I could just feel it. Like I just knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. Um, I didn't really even know what to think, but um, by the time I made it to the hospital, Dan was already there um, with Toby and with the nurses and doctors in the emergency room. And this woman came to the um, front of the emergency room to get me and was walking me back. And I was just, I feel like already at that point, I was just in a bit of a fog. Like it was just, you know, my adrenaline was going. I didn't know what to think. I just was all over the place. And 
I don't remember a whole lot from that point forward. Um, but you know, I remember her saying to me, um, are you sure that you're ready for this? And I just like looked at her and she opened the door and Dan was just standing there holding Toby. And I looked at him and I just said, Dan, and just, he just looked at me and he just shook his head. No. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was, I don't even know how to describe it quite honestly. I mean, to this day, I, um, it'll be three years in August and I still can't put words to it. Um, we sat there with him. Um, our parents came in and I mean, you want to talk about heartbreak from the point of having your mom and dad look at you, you know, and wanting them wanting an answer and you just saying no, you know, Mm -hmm. they're in an emergency state trying to get there. Both of our parents were like an hour away. They live about an hour away. And so, um, they got there after, you know, Dan and I, but, um, I don't know. I, I remember like the things that I do remember are, you know, I didn't want to leave him. I just, it was just so hard. Um, and Dan's family, um, owns a funeral home. And so fortunately that was one of the things that actually, I feel like helped me. It was a bit of a crutch because I knew that they would take Toby and that he would be taken care of. Um, and I feel like that was a little bit of a blessing in disguise for us. Um, I don't, I, I feel like it alleviated some of the pain from that, from him being able to go with someone that knew him and loved him versus mm-hmm. someone that didn't know us at all. Um, and, and had to take our son and, and get him ready for burial. Um, but I just, um, I don't know. There are just, there's just so much of that time that even now talking about it, I just don't remember. Um, I, I remember the pieces that I do remember are just how much I cried and what I couldn't do. Um, our house just felt horribly empty. Um, we still had Luke at home, you know, and I just kept thinking to myself, like, what in the world are we going to tell him? Like, how are we going to tell him this? Like, he's not even two. Like, how is he going to understand this? Um, And when we got home, he was ready for bed. And so we just decided that we were going to put him to bed because it had, it was late. It was 930 or so by the time we actually left the hospital and came home. And so we just put him to sleep and we said, you know, we'll talk to him in the morning when he's not tired and, you know, just give us a little bit of time to figure out what even we're going to say. And, um, that next morning, I, I, we didn't sleep at all that night, but the next morning when Luke was up, he was eating breakfast and Dan and I just went in with him and there were people in and out of our house constantly which for that time was just a blessing because they just took care of of everything and I don't even remember all of the people that were here it was just nonstop, like in and out it but Dan and I were just not involved with like anything that was going on 
and um, we just told Luke um, that Toby had gone to heaven and that he was with Jesus and that if we he wanted to talk to him he could always talk to him because Toby would hear him all the time you know and see what he was doing and you know he was always going to be here even though we couldn't see him and for someone that's you know as little as Luke was you have no idea like do they understand do they get it are they hurt like it's just there's no way to know that there there's absolutely no way um and so we did our best uh I don't know that everyone would say it it was the best but at that point in time it was the best for us and so that's the way that we had to look at it because Dan and I were grieving and we were also still trying to raise Luke in a normal household which was no longer normal Um, Mm -hmm. and so we were off from work for a while. Um, and those next couple months were really just a blur. We made it to Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving day ended up being three months to the day that Toby died. And I remember getting up and thinking to myself, like, how is like, how is this Thanksgiving day? You know, you think of Thanksgiving and it's like, I'm thankful for this, this, and this. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to be thankful for right now. And that's, and that's how I felt. And that was a lot of, a lot of the pain that we were dealing with. Um, You know, I'd mentioned before we were Catholic, we were both raised Catholic. And so the church was a place that we always were and like our relationship with God and, and everything. And, um, you just really struggled with that. I mean, I, I still struggle with it, quite honestly. Um, there are times where I can go to church and sit through mass and I make it and I'm okay. And then there are other times that I don't make it and I cry a lot. And I just feel like, you know, to know that that's a place now where, you know, Toby is and where we think of, you know, us going, it's just, I don't know. It's just sometimes quite absurd to me to even think about it. Like I I just, my mind is just so lost in what has happened to us and to our family. And for Dan and I, it was really, you know, we needed to do something. Like we are just very much people that like do things like we have to you know there there's a there's a reason Mm -hmm. which we will never know and um but there there has to be purpose and we knew that his life had a purpose and so for us we said you know we need to do something in his name and we really didn't know you know what that was um or where the path would lead us but Um, in early 2017, we decided to start a foundation, um, in his name. And so the little Fox Toby's foundation was formed. Um, we had a lot of discussions, um, on what, what we wanted it to do, what our mission was going to be, who we were going to help, what we wanted to do. Um, and that changed a good bit over the first six months and, you know, a lot of people said to us, well, this is going to, you know, it's going to take a lot of time and you guys aren't going to know, 
you know, it's going to be hard because you're not going to know what to do with this. And so maybe you should do this with it, or maybe you should put together scholarships. And none of that made sense to us, just us, because Mm -hmm. it was Toby. Like we were, you know, he was little and a baby and he wouldn't be getting a scholarship for anything. And so we didn't feel like that was the right thing at the right time for us at that point. And so, um, we, someone shared with us this other organization that there was a write-up in People Magazine about another family who had lost their son to SIDS, um, just like Toby. And um, they were partners with a company called Owlet, which I had no idea who they were or what they did or whatever. So I went full throttle into research mode and figuring out what this company was and, and what they did. Found out we connected with them and had a discussion and they sell these devices called smart socks. And it basically goes on the foot of the baby and it monitors an infant's heart rate and oxygen levels while they sleep or while they're taking a nap. And so the monitor has ranges of what, you know, an infant should be in for their heart rate and their oxygen levels high and low. And if any of the vitals go outside those ranges, it would alarm and let you know that something is wrong. And so at first, quite honestly, I thought, why didn't we have one of these? Like, why didn't I know about it? Why, why wasn't it something that crossed our path before so that this, you know, could have saved Toby? And um, then my thoughts kind of redirected to, okay, we can't help Toby now, but he can help other people if we do something with this. So we had the discussion with Owlette and they said, we want to help you carry on Toby's name in whatever way we can. So whatever we can do to help you, let us know and, and we'll help you. And the thing for us at that point was, you know, it was almost like shock because for us, it was like this company doesn't know us from like another family, but they're putting their heart, you know, and faith into us and what we want to do for our son who died and helping us, you know, and it mm-hmm. was um, it was just something very remarkable. And a lot of doors opened that we just felt like wouldn't open. And then they did. And we just felt like that was Toby saying, this is where you know, you need to be right now and this will help other people and you can do this, you know, for you guys, this will help your hearts too. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we started on that journey with them and, um, you know, from a business perspective, I mean, the foundation was, has only been in existence, um, for a little over a year at this point, we, we are 501c3. So we had to do, you know, all of that paperwork and the business side of things and get everything set with our board and whatnot. And so during that time, we, you know, worked on again, who, who is our focus? Who are we targeting? And so with this monitor, the things that came up were issues of safe sleep and how people are putting their babies to sleep and, 
making sure that they're in a safe sleep environment. And that means, you know, alone on their back in a crib or in a bassinet. So like your ABCs of safe sleep for an infant, meaning there's nothing else in the crib, no bumpers on the crib. It's a fitted sheet flat. That's it. And if you're using something to put them to sleep in, it should be a, um, a sleep sack that, um, is tested and approved to be used on infants and it should be used in the correct way. And so, you know, a lot of people, I think the initial perception when we started talking about this was, you know, you got a lot of things. Well, our parents like put us to sleep on our tummies and we were fine. You know, you got that from, from the grandmas that, did this before with their children and they're telling their child now. And it's like, well, that's not what, what safe sleep is supposed to be for children now. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of driving that point home to a point where people understand that it takes five minutes to make sure that your child is sleeping in a safe environment that will be good for them and that you won't have to worry about no stuffed animals, no blankets in the crib with them, And, you know, when they start to roll, because that happens at different ages for a lot of children, you know, you need to be mindful of that too. They shouldn't be in a sleep sack if they're rolling. And it's just making sure that they're okay. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about this and talking about the education of safe sleep, because many people don't, A, realize that things shouldn't be where they are around young children. And that sounds crazy. It, it, it really does. But I think the importance of it doesn't come into play and in very like clear focus until you've lost a child. Yeah, and that's, that's horrible. But that's the truth of it. It's the reality of it. And so, you know, for us, it's really been this, we're doing this to educate parents, care providers, grandparents, wherever your infant may be. And everyone will have an opinion on how, what your crib looks like. Should you co-sleep, not co-sleep? Um, when the monitor should be worn, that kind of thing. But we just feel like it's our job to continue to talk about this because it's important. I do want to say when talking about safe sleep, because we get this question a lot, is that um, Toby's death and the diagnosis of SIDS from the coroner was, in fact, because he was in a completely safe sleep environment. He did not suffocate. There was nothing else in the crib with him. He had a onesie on, and that was it. And so there were no extenuating circumstances for Toby passing, but for us, that those extenuating circumstances come into play a lot with infants that are dying. And so this is important to talk about. And, you know, when we're giving these monitors, because the funds that we raise go towards purchasing the Owlet Smart Socks, which are then in turn donated to families getting ready to welcome an infant, a newborn. And we cannot hammer home the topic enough that this tool is in addition to your safe sleep practices. This is not in place of it. And this tool also does not stop SIDS from happening. It's 
it's supposed to be there to give peace of mind to parents. And it is a tool to help so that parents can see at any point in time, open up their phone through the app and see the vitals of their infant to know if something is wrong. And so it's just important that people understand that because there's nothing that can replace those ABCs. Like it just has to happen with infants. And that's where, you know, and, and to go back to the comment that I said, you know, when we had loop, like those three, six months, you know, those first three or six months with Luke, like that is the most trying time for new parents. Like it's so hard. I mean, you're, you're working, your partner or your spouse is back to work. You know, there's no sleep. The baby's not sleeping, going through transitions and everything else. And so, you know, you, you want to be able to say if they fall asleep somewhere, we just, you know, we just want them to sleep. And yes, understand that, but that's not, that's not safe sleep. And you're putting your child in danger, which we know that no parent wants that. And we, we obviously know that no parent wants to be on this journey either without one of their children, their son or their daughter. Um, And so, you know, in talking with about our story, we just want people to understand why we're doing this and, and why we're talking about it. And that we know that Toby's life even though he was only here for 12 weeks with us was important. And there's stuff that we can do in his name to help other families. So they're not on this path and they don't have to go through grief and they don't have to go through, you know, milestones for their children and their children aren't there. And Mm -hmm. that's everyday life for Dan and I and our families, you know, and we had three nieces prior to, Toby being born, um, one in December, one in January, and one um, at the very end of February. And then Toby was born in May. And so for us to look at those girls now and, you know, love them and be for them, be there for them as much as we are because our families are so close, it's still so heartbreaking. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no other way to put it because when you look at the three of them or the two of them together playing, you think like Toby should be right there and he's not, and he'll never be, you know, they'll go to kindergarten and everyone will celebrate that and Toby won't be here. And Mm -hmm. so it's just so hard to explain the pain of it, but it's not just, you know, six months or a year and it goes away. It doesn't. And it's like that with any loss. It's there. It's part of your life. It's part of who you are. And I feel like it shapes where you go, you know, and we all have a choice on where to go from there. And sometimes those choices are really hard because the pain of it and what you're carrying and what you have to carry for the rest of your life is so heavy and just um, so raw and you know, it's, it's hard to make those decisions to live in the positive and to find joy on your journey. Like I use that a lot in everything that, that I write. Um, I put together a blog that I started a couple months after Toby died, which is on the foundation's website. And, and I talk about our journey through grief and, and children and raising children. And, you know, we went on to become pregnant again, um, the beginning of last year, um, we found out we were pregnant and 
we weren't planning to be pregnant. And um, it was just really, it was, it was hard for Dan and I. Um, It's just, it's a whole new chapter in that book of child loss of going through. Um, And it was, it was, there was a lot of pain that was the same and anxiety that was the same from when we got pregnant with Luke and just not knowing from that initial loss, like, were things going to be okay? And what was going to happen? And the other things, you know, that come into play with infant loss and, and grieving the loss of a child is, you know, can I get attached to this baby that I'm having? Because what if something happens to him or her? And that's something that, you know, I feel like the loss community in general just has a hard time with and struggles with, and there's no answer for it, you know, because there's, there is no one that can tell you everything will be okay. Yeah. I don't mean that in, you know, I've talked about this before too, and I don't say that to be like Debbie Downer and like negative about it, but there is no reassurance of like, everything is going to be okay, you know? And so for us, it's like, we just have to continually remind ourselves that every day, every moment, everything that you decide to do one way or another is it, it's, it's in that time. Like those are your minutes and we never know when our time is going to be up. It doesn't matter if it's our babies or ourselves, our parents, our grandparents, we don't know when that is. And so it's so important to just take that time to be with your children, with your family. Like it's so, so, so important because I can visibly see myself the night before it's the 23rd of August. I stood in the kitchen holding Toby to put him to bed And Dan was outside with Luke in the yard and I was watching Luke run around. And I said to Toby, you'll be out there soon running around with Luke. And I laughed with him and I put him to bed. And that was the last time that Dan and I would ever put him to bed, you know? And it's just like, you don't know that in that moment. Yeah. It's so important. And so we, um, we had our third son in November um, this past November, Ezekiel, we call him Zeke. And um, he has just been an enormous blessing for our family, um, for Dan and I, for Luke. Oh, my goodness. Like, And, you know, from the day that we brought Zeke home, Luke has just talked about Toby and... Zeke and him and it's always the three of them it's never just Luke and Zeke and so you know for us it's just a sign for Luke to be able to talk like that and to talk about his relationship with Toby and to tell Zeke about that I mean Luke will be five in September at this point but for a four-year-old to do that to me that just tells me that there is a relationship that Luke has with Toby that none of us will ever have or ever understand. And I'm just so thankful for that. I mean, quite honestly, that's one of the things that I just thank God for every day because, you know, I, we know that, that Luke understands that, that he was here and, you know, and he's 
even though he's not physically here. And so, um, Deke's six months old now, and um, it's just been a, a wonderful blessing for all of us. And, you know, we talk about Toby with him, and he laughs, and he smiles. <laughs> and so, again, I just feel like, you know, I have said to him on many occasions, it, I he probably knows Toby, you know, and oh, yeah. I, I believe that. I, I believe that, and that's that's my faith and that's my trust, you know, in God and knowing that, that Toby said, you know, it's time, you know, that you guys, you guys can have another brother or sister, you know, of mine and you will be okay. Like it's time to let your hearts just be able to love a little bit more because there's a hole in there in my heart. I know that will never be filled. It will never Mm -hmm. be filled. And that's for any parent who has lost a baby, an infant. And um, I think it's just important to talk about it because, yeah, you know, there are days that are so sad. And then there are other days that there is joy and there's smile and there's laughter. And you just feel like, you know, you have a little bit more faith in this world and in what happens. Um so yeah, I don't know. How, I mean, how are your how are your feelings like when you put Zeke down for like naps and bedtime? Like is yeah. that a terrifying thing for you? Yeah, yeah. So I mean well from the beginning, like at at the beginning, I would say those first couple months um were were hard. Um it was nerve wracking, um, even with the monitor on, quite honestly, you know, um, you just don't have faith, you know what I mean? And, and it's just hard to be able to say, okay, I'm one room over, or he's right beside me, like in the bassinet, you know, you're still waking up and checking on him and making sure that he's breathing. And yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do, I do that all the time. Like, I can't imagine like after a loss like that, you know, like I, I feel like I already wake up every yeah. half hour and, and, and I touch his stomach, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And that, I mean, that is something that honestly through, you know, through the foundation and being able to have discussions and hear other families stories about, you know, um, trouble trying to conceive and going through IVF or even adopting, you know, and having and bringing a newborn home, like that's your fear, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and if you think about it, you know, what do we, what do we say all the time? Like they'll be okay. And it's not, you know, that's not being said like, because we're trying to lie to someone or that you want to honestly continually think about like, well, what happens if they stop breathing? But it does happen and it it can happen to anybody, you know. So the thing is just talking about um, and parents knowing that there are things to help avoid that. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, for us, it was just, it was so difficult. Like nighttime, again, because 
you know, you're tired. So you're trying to stay up because you want to make sure that he's okay, but you can't. And then you fall asleep and then you wake up and you're like waking up in a panic because you're like, oh my gosh, how long was I asleep? Was I checking on him? You know, whatever. And so I feel like once we got, you know, into like four months with Zeke or month four, you know, we, it was a little less anxious. Um, I feel like, you know, the six month mark was even a little bit less anxiety again, just because, you know, from a medicine perspective and health perspective, you know, they say at six months, that percentage goes down, but it's still, you know, six to 12 months, there's still a lot of infants that, that die from SIDS. And so still that worry. Did you ever co-sleep before Toby? No, no, okay. we did not. And so I mean, I'm guilty of it. So yeah. that's, I, I mean, I think a lot of parents are. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that subject in and of itself is, has become so hot, like just a hot topic. Yeah. I've seen for, a lot of it lately. Yeah. Mom groups and parent groups to talk about it and why, you know, but for us, um, and again, it just goes back to the education of it and, you know, what our view of it is. And then, you know, it's up to the parents to make the decision and, and make sure that they're doing what's safe for their child. And so for us, we never did it prior to, to Toby. Um, and we obviously, it's just not something that we would do now. Um, and again, mm-hmm. that's our opinion of it. Um, I've been asked, do you think people that do co-sleep consistently um, use the monitor? I would say no. There's no statistics on that. Um, but I just can't see someone using the monitor. I honestly think that it would probably go off a lot if someone was co-sleeping just because of their oxygen levels. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't think that that, you know, for us, that's just not something that we do. Well, you've definitely made me think about it. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. I mean, the education behind it, it's like, so one word that always comes up, I feel like on this podcast is naive, right? And like, oh, like oh. I didn't think it would happen to me or, you know, like with yep. miscarriage. And I think that goes the same with, you know, losing a child from SIDS yep. too. It's like, yeah. you don't think it's going to happen to you. And then right, um, it can. Yep. And once it does, I think it changes you know, how you think about things too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Tremendously. I mean, you know, I just, I've continually said since Toby died, I am a more anxious parent. Like I feel like I was anxious prior to that, but like when you go through loss like that, your anxiety for your children, I I mean, I'm even talking Luke, just like things he does, like riding his bike or going places like it doesn't have anything to do with sleep but my heightened sense of parents you know is just like I am so anxious with him about stuff and there's not a whole lot that I can do about that I mean I try my best but it just is not something that I don't think is going to go away for a very long time and maybe that will change when the boys are older um you know, and in a different phase of life, um, where you're not concerned about some of these things when they're, you know, toddlers and infants, but 
at this point in time, it just, it is what it is. And it's, it's a part of what happened to us. So yeah, I, I can't. absolutely. And you know, I feel like that goes back to what you had said to me before. Like, do you feel like you had to justify or you were sorry and like had to explain? And that's like, that's how it feels. Like you yeah. have, to have that discussion and say like, this is why I'm worried about my child, you know? Yeah. Now my, now Ryan is going to be 18 wearing that all out. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and honestly, like, that's so hilarious because there's a lot of people that have said to us, well, like, how long can they wear it? You know, and, and there's age and weight requirements and things like that. But, you know, and they're like, well, we need something that works for like up until they're like six or eight or something. <laughs> but, like, I totally get where you're coming from. I get it. Like, I could not see like, you know, middle school kids or elementary, even elementary school kids, like keeping this thing on the like, You guys are crazy. But, you know, that comes uh, with parenthood, right? Yeah, seriously. I know. I, I don't have an outlet, but I'm going to get one because I honestly said it's a huge fear of mine. I don't know why I don't have one. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's just a very remarkable tool. Um, like I said, I, I wish we, I, I mean, there's no words to wish how much we had it when we had Toby. Um, it was first introduced in 2016. So, um, and I have quite a few friends who have it and they love it. Yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, you know, there are alarms on it. There are different alarms that go off and whatnot. Um, it's not constant. It isn't, but you know, some people get irritated by it. I understand where you're coming from. I, I get it. But as a lost parent, I, I was like, irritation that. is a very small thing yes. to pay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's what we try to talk about because they're not, it's not every night. It's, it's not every other night, you know, but you get them and it wakes you up and it's supposed to, you know, that's, that's what it is supposed to do. And I just can't see how any parent in that situation, like if it was the red alarm and something was going wrong, why would you not want that? I, I, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me why you wouldn't. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for jumping on, sharing your story and and educating myself and everyone listening too. So thank you so much. Thank you for letting us talk about Toby. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Take myself, take my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fan, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.